Thank you for that, Roger. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Um, like Roger just said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sasha, and I lead our Encounter Youth Ministry here at Restore where, uh, for our middle and high school students. And I absolutely love it. Um, Working with young people is a passion of mine, and being able to work with them and pour into their life has been such a privilege and a blessing. Uh, this passion developed actually shortly after I graduated from my undergrad degree at East Carolina University um, when I recommitted my life back to Christ. And I had spent some time kind of gauging whether or not working with young people was what I was meant to do. And after about a year of like gradual exploration, um, and going back and forth with God about wanting to work with youth and wanting to get out of the pre-2016 election environment that was D.C., which is where I was at the time, um, God made a way uh, and did both. And so I found myself in this place where I was about to take this huge step of faith. I quit my job in property management in D.C., I packed my bags, and I moved halfway across the world to New Zealand to do a youth ministry internship. Uh, so talk about an awesomely answered prayer, right? Well... Sort of, kind of. Uh, so what ended up happening was there, <laughs> I laugh because it was a learning experience. I always say something's a learning experience when it wasn't so great at first. And so if someone asked me, they were like, how was it? And I was like, it was an experience. And so <laughs> that's what it was. And it, it was a learning experience. And um, I had expected it to be, but just not in the way that it ended up uh, becoming. And so what, I wasn't actually sure what I expected it would be when I got there. I had like a general expectation that I would show up, um, I would learn the ropes of youth ministry real quick, and then just jump on in into full-on leading and ministering to the youth. Um, but instead, I found myself uh, vacuuming, sweeping, wiping down sinks, wiping down toilets, um, taking out the trash, and even setting up uh, the auditorium by stacking and unstacking chairs, which seems really familiar uh, nowadays. Um, along with that, I also uh, had to help with the planning and facilitating of conferences of 1,000 plus people. I had to help with benefit dinners where I played like the busboy, the server, the hostess, the sous chef, and the dishwasher all in one night. And on top of that, I was also expected to serve during every service that we had. And we did two on Sundays, one in the morning and one in the evening. And sometimes we also did multiple throughout the week. Um, and so I ended up doing a bunch of different roles like uh, door greeter, seat usher, uh, service team coordinator. I worked upstairs in the children's ministry. And I also did get to work with youth. Um, not as much as I wanted to, but I did get to do it. Um, but needless to say, I was less than impressed with the work that I was doing, um, especially in comparison to what I wanted to be doing, which was working with youth. Um, and have you guys like, ever been in that situation where you're like, you wanted to do something, you're like all hyped for it, and then you get there, and then you're like, I did not sign up for this. Uh, yeah, that was me in that moment. And I was literally like this close uh, to quitting. Uh, but I was already in too deep. I was halfway across the world. And I could have quit. I really could have. But, like, disobedience is not a good look for God. Uh, but that's, like, a whole different sermon. Um, and I'm so thankful that I didn't quit. I, like, I, the, the reason I wanted to is because I was just so frustrated because I had wanted to work with youth. That was why I, like, picked up my whole life and went across the world. Um, but what, what ended up happening with that is... I, like, me wanting to work with youth in and of itself wasn't bad. Like, that 
it's okay that I wanted to pursue my calling. But what ended up making it bad was when I felt like I shouldn't have been doing anything else, that I was better than all those tasks that I was doing. Um, and in that frustration, like despite all of that, I actually did end up growing closer to God. And I experienced his love the most than I ever had in my life. Um, I actually remember one time, one evening when I was serving, uh, I was so frustrated because I was exhausted and yet again I had felt like unappreciated and undervalued when I heard God say to me, Sasha, I see you and I'm so very proud of you. And like, as you can imagine, tears running down my face. It was evening service, so it was dark, no one could see. Um, but it was like in that moment where everything started to come together for me. But up until then, I had completely missed the point. Um, when I look back at it now, like if you would have asked me right when I got back, it would have been a different story. But when I look back at it now, I am so, so thankful for that opportunity because there's so much I learned um, during that year. And what I didn't know then that I know now is that what God was doing when he was preparing me and molding my heart was he was making me, he was putting me in a better position to be able to do what he had called me to do and also live the full life he wanted me to live. And so um, now we fast forward two years later and I find myself in a church where I have, like where we set up and tear down every week and where I have opportunities where I, where I get to serve like all the time. And I love it because I find so much life and fulfillment and joy in serving. Um, but don't get me wrong, like I get frustrated from time to time. You can ask some of my closest friends, like I, I wear it. We all, I think all of us are pretty bad at wearing it from um, moment to moment. But the thing is, is because of that perspective that God gave me um, during that internship, I, the only way I know how to live my life is to serve others, which is why I'm super excited for us to be able to go through John 13 together uh, so that we can learn how to, like, like I had to learn that year, how to put to death our selfishness so that we can find life in servanthood by following the example that Jesus gives us um, with watching the disciples' feet. And so if you guys want to, I'm not sure, did we do the, the Bibles? Yeah, okay. So if you don't have a Bible, if you want to shoot your hand up, we have some people that will go around and um, get one for you. Oh, yeah. I love that Dory just raises her hand for a Bible every week. It's just so sweet. She gives them something to do. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> but if you don't have a Bible, if you want to follow along on your phone, um, there's the YouVersion Bible app or any other kind of app that you might have that has a Bible. I don't know of any others. Um, so if you guys are just now joining us, <laughs> as a church family, we have been going to, um, through the book of John together. And just a couple weeks ago, uh, Roger started us off in this series called Death to Life, where we were going to talk about, where we're trying to point out different ways that we can find life um, through the events that lead up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I'm picking up where he left off last week. And um, where we are in the story actually puts us in Jesus' life a day... Um, actually, just a few hours, I believe. It's actually just a few hours, like moments before he got arrested. And so I'm going to read through a short little passage of Scripture to kind of just set the stage for what we're going to talk about today, okay? So starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Issachariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that, ooh, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So as we've just read in this passage of scripture, we see that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And this might seem kind of like weird to be doing around dinner time, um, but it was actually very common during this day and age. Um, so back in the day, everyone basically wore open-faced sandals, and they walked pretty much everywhere they were going. Um, and so that means like since they were like in the Middle East area, that means they were going through dirt and sand and mud. And so we can only imagine how dirty their feet were. Um, but you might be thinking, okay, so what? Like they're underneath the table, out of sight, out of mind, right? Well, not exactly, because also during this day and age, they had tables that were really low to the ground. And so um, that means that they would be sitting, and, like, sitting on the ground or laying on the ground. And sometimes in scripture, you'll see that um, it reads like reclining. They were reclining at the table. That's them like laying down, like chilling at the table. Um, and so that means that their feet were getting up close and personal with the food. And they were not about that life then, just like we're not about that life now. So they weren't here for having feet all up in the food. Um, and so washing their feet right before dinner was common. And whenever uh, like a, a guest, or excuse me, a host had guests over, it was actually, actually sorry, common courtesy for them to have their slave wash uh, the feet of their guests. And so Jesus in and of himself, like, washing the disciples' feet is kind of weird. But when you think about it in the sense that, like, he was taking the position of a slave to do this, like the responsibility of what would have been a slave doing this chore, um, it takes it to a whole other level. Um, and, like, so if you think about it, it's like, what gives? Like, why was Jesus the anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah, our Lord and Savior, getting down on his knees to wash the disciples' feet. Well, if we go back to the beginning of scripture, or scripture, I keep saying that, the beginning of the chapter, <laughs> we'll find out why. So the first reason we find for why Jesus did this is because Jesus knew who he was and what he was called to do. In verses 3 to 4, it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. And then that's when he had prepared to wash the disciples' feet. And some translations might read that a little bit differently, but the same point remains that Jesus rose from supper, supper after he remembered who he was and what he was called to do. And this is something he did all throughout his life. Jesus never lost sight of his purpose and who he was, which is what led him to live such a flawless ministry. Um, and this can apply to us also. 
I mean, we can't live a flawless ministry because we're not perfect. Um, but we can remind ourselves because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have a new identity and a purpose. Like this, when I had this revelation, I didn't have this revelation about this, like, truth that he rose after supper until I did the Bible study for this, and I was just shook. And so the fact, like, the fact that he remembered, like, and that we can remember, it, take, sorry, I, it just takes us to another level. It's really exciting when you get in the Word of God and, like, allow the Holy Spirit to do that thing. Um, but if you have made the decision, let me get back on track, sorry, if you have made that decision to follow, follow Jesus and you've committed your life to to him and call him your Lord and Savior, then that means, like Jesus, you are a child of God. This means that you are loved, that you have been chosen, and that you have a purpose. And with that purpose, it, that purpose is to love God, love others, and then love yourself, and then love others as yourself so that you can reunite all things to God, which is his ultimate purpose for everything. And so no matter where God places you in your life or what season you're going through, when you remember who you are and what you've been called to do, you will find opportunities to serve others everywhere. Whether that's at work, in your family or friend circle, or at church, or in the community. Serving others is not confined to a specific time and place, and it's actually a daily responsibility that all of us Christians have. And so the next, the next reason we see why Jesus washed the disciples' feet is because he wanted his disciples to be able to fellowship with them. So after we read about Peter's initial objection to Jesus washing his feet, Jesus responds by saying, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. After hearing this, Peter then asked for Jesus to wash his whole body. And like, do y'all ever read in scripture and you're just like, man, what the heck? Like, he, he just said he wanted to wash your feet. Um, but like, because Peter, like in this situation, he was like all humble. He's like, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And then when God was like, no, I have to wash your feet so you can have a share with me. And he's like, well, I want all of you then, so wash my whole body, Jesus. And he's like, hold up. That was not what we were talking about. <laughs> so before you guys get like judgy with me, though, um, doesn't that sound like us sometimes? Like, we'll, we'll receive a blessing from God. And we'll be like, oh, God, thank you so much, but I'm so not worthy to receive this gift. Um, but once we actually take that moment and receive it, after it takes, like, whatever time it takes for us, we end up getting to this place where we actually end up demanding or expecting that God does more for us or provides more than what we had originally asked for. Or sometimes it may be, like, God answering one of our prayers, and we might be like, thank you, God, so much for answering my prayer the way I wanted you to answer it. Um, now let me do with it as I want to do with it. Um, and, like, I don't know if any of you guys can relate, but I certainly can. I literally just gave you an example of what that looked like for me. Um, but the thing is, just like we often do, Peter had missed the point. Jesus washing the disciples' feet wasn't just an act of loving service Jesus was doing to his disciples. There's a spiritual lesson he was teaching them, too. So and this lesson can be found in the difference between the words wash and bathe. So in the literal sense, when it says wash, that word literally means um, frequent washing, like they would do when they were washing their feet or what we do when we wash our hands. Um, the, like the word bathe talks about like a deep cleansing, like what you would do when you're like washing a dead, bo like, yeah, a dead body to prepare it for balming, or uh, you're washing the blood out of a wound. Um, in the spiritual sense, though, the bathing here refers to our soul salvation, one that the thing that only happens once, which is why Jesus said that he didn't need to bathe Peter because he was already clean. He was already saved. 
The foot washing, on the other hand, refers to that constant, continual cleansing we as Christians must do as a result of being in the world, but not of the world. And what this looks like for us is when, like, when we go about our days each and every day, we're exposed to a lot of things that are not of God. And we have to be intentional about cleansing ourselves daily with the water of his word to ensure that we can maintain fellowship with him. And this daily cleansing happens because reading the word of God reveals to us our sins, which ultimately should lead us to repentance so that God can wash our slate clean again. But please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that not cleansing ourselves with the word takes away our salvation because it doesn't. But it does make it hard for us to stay in constant fellowship with God because unholiness cannot withstand the presence of holiness. And so that's why sometimes you might feel like, I can't talk to God because I'm not holy enough. Get in the word and let him cleanse you, and then you will feel like you're holy enough to talk to him. To illustrate this point a little bit further, I want to talk a lo- like real quick about some middle school boys. And so, <laughs> I've seen Evelyn lift her head up because she has two middle school boys that are actually in our encounter youth group. Um, but, so as a youth leader and actually someone who's committed their life to working with youth in all um, capacities in my career, um, I've had a lot of interaction with middle school boys. And did you guys know that middle school boys do not wash their hands? <laughs> like, I mean, you might assume it, but in my job, I have to take the kids to the bathroom and like, I don't go in the bathroom with them, but I weigh out in the hallway and I can hear everything that happens in the bathroom. And I, I hear the toilet flush and then immediately after they'll walk out. And I'll be like, did you just wa- did you wash your hands? And then I'll, they put their head down, turn around and go back into the bathroom. And like that happens more times than like it should. And I mean, there's probably some middle school boys that do wash their hands, but do they wash their hands every single time that they use the bathroom or every single time they like touch things that they shouldn't be touching? No. They sure don't, because they don't think that, <laughs> because they don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> a lot of them don't. Oh man, that wasn't in my notes. Okay, I'm back. Okay, a lot of them also don't understand how to bathe either. Okay, and so we're gonna go through the four types of middle school boys that don't understand the concept of bathing. So the first, like the first group of boys, they don't bathe at all. They are completely content, content resting in their filth. They think that they're not dirty, they can't smell them. It's like that Febreze commercial, they've gone nose blind. It's all good to them. They don't feel like they need to take a bath. The second group of kids, um, or second group of boys, they get in the shower, but they don't wash their body. They just stand there and let the water do its thing. Um, and the only reason that you can tell that they showered is because their, ha- their hair is wet. But there's no evidence that they've showered because they still stink. And you're like, did you wash your body? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Why? Why didn't you wash your body while you were in there? Um, the second group of boys, they take a shower or a bath way too much. Um, and this is usually because they're trying to impress, like, the girls or, like, their family or friends, other people. I don't know. They just want to smell good all the time. Um, and they never feel like they're clean enough. And so, like, they'll take a shower, like, 15 times a day if they were allowed to. And then the last group of boys, (laughs) (laughs) I heard a story about this last group of boys, and I I was not, I didn't even know that this was a thing, like, in the capacity that I heard it. But a friend of mine, when he was in middle school, he had to take a shower in the morning before he went to school. And um, 
he was tired. I mean, naturally, we're always tired in the morning. Um, but he wanted to be obedient, follow his mom's like orders, and go take a shower. So what he did, he would go into the bathroom, he would turn the shower on, and then he would close the door, lock the door, make a pile of clothes, like the dirty clothes that were on the floor, make it into a bed, and then sleep. And then like when it was time for him, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then when it was time for him to like get out of the shower, he would just like get his hair wet a little bit, and then like come out. And I'm just like, wait, what? But, <laughs> but the thing is, is this isn't like super, super weird because I have also had like some students that would be like, oh yeah, I don't really shower. I just like get my hair wet and like splash my face. Like that, that's enough. Um, and these are the, the people who, like these guys are the ones that are just trying to get their parents off their back, make it look like they're showering. Um, but their motives are all wrong. They don't really want to be showering. Um, and middle school boys, there's something else. If you've never interacted with them, I would say it's a blessing, but it's actually really enjoyable, like, being able to work with them. So, I don't know, if you have the opportunity, you should definitely check them out for a little bit. Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> um, but like these boys I've described, some of us also don't really understand the concept of spiritual cleansing or cleanliness either. So like our friends who don't bathe at all, some of us in here need to examine our cleanliness and consider getting that one-time bathing that comes through committing our life to Christ through that one time, um, through baptism. Like our friends who get in the shower and have no evidence that they've done so, since they still sink, um, some of us need to examine our cleanliness by ex examining our relationship with God and determining how close we feel to him, if at all. And after doing so, you might want to check your priorities and see if maybe you need to be spending more time in the Word so that you can get to know God better, learn to trust Him, and then ultimately experience the fullness of His love so that on a much deeper, deeper level so that you can think less about yourself and more about others. Like our friends who bathe so much because they never feel clean enough, some of us really need to hear me say this. Once you have been saved, you do not need to work yourself into burnout in order to maintain your soul salvation. You do not. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And later in Ephesians, he tells us that we can't earn our salvation through works anyways. So please, 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 please stop running yourself ragged trying to make sure you stay safe. And like, I get it. I can empathize because I've been in that place before. But instead of serving because you're trying to earn love, Get in the word of God and ask him to reframe your mindset so that instead you will serve because you know you are loved. And then like our last group of friends, the ones whose motives were all, were all wrong, there's some of us who need to examine our own cleanliness and ask ourselves, am I serving because I feel like I have to? Or am I serving because I am thankful that I get to? This group of people needs to let the word cleanse and renew the way they think about serving to prevent the seeds of bitterness resentfulness and pride from taking root in their lives and creating a barrier between them and God and them and God's people. Getting in the word regularly reminds you that first and foremost, serving is not about you. It's also not really about other people as much as it is about making God proud of what you are doing by being obedient to what he's called us to do. Most Christians find themselves in at least one of these categories at some point during their walk and I know, personally, I have been in each one of them. Um, but getting in the Word and really digging into it is hands down the best thing I could have ever done for my faith walk. It's one of the main reasons why I feel like I can boldly approach God and talk to Him about whatever I want. And some of you desperately want or need to do that. 
Um, and if you want to do that, you've got to get in the Word. I'm telling you, there is nothing greater than being able to have this strong relationship with God, the person who created us. The third reason we see that Jesus chose to wash the disciples' feet is because Jesus wanted us to find joy and humility. After he finishes washing the disciples' feet, he starts telling them in, in verse 12, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Essentially, Jesus is saying here that he is giving them an example, his disciples, us, an example of how to live a blessed life. Here Jesus says that when we know who we are and that we are not above doing even like the seemingly lowliest of tasks, no matter what our title is, and then we actually choose to do that task out of obedience, it's then that we are blessed. And the word blessed here means happy. And I often hear so many people complain about not finding fulfillment or happiness in the Christian life. And one could argue that the reason that these people aren't finding like fulfillment or happiness by being a Christian is because they might be spending too much time thinking about themselves. After we get saved, we start to recognize that there's a lot of stuff we need to work through in order to align our lives with Jesus. As a result, we spend a lot of our time asking Jesus to help us and tend to our needs, which he does. And Jesus wants us to do this. He wants us to come to him and help, help, uh, help us align our life with him because he wants to serve us. What eventually ends up happening, though, is that we grow accustomed to Jesus helping us and tending to our needs that we somehow develop the self-righteous complex where we think that our needs are greater or more important than the needs of others. And then we begin expecting that others should be serving us instead of us serving others. A sure-tell sign you're in this place is when you spend more time criticizing others than helping others. Complaining only breeds negativity, which ultimately leads to, ooh, I lost my spot, discontentment, and ultimately unhappiness. Jesus knows this would happen to his disciples. He knew this would happen to his disciples right after he had just tended to their needs yet again. Which is why, just after his telling his him telling his disciples that they were clean, that they were saved, all of them but Judas, he makes sure that they did not get it twisted and told them, you are not better than washing someone's feet because I just did the same for you. And I believe that all, all of us believers can relate to this at some point in our walk. Um, this is the place I was in during my internship also, um, which is why God spent that whole year humbling the mess out of me. And please know, I'm not saying that your needs aren't important because they are. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take time to rest and practice self-care because you, you should. Taking care of yourself and your needs actually puts you in a better place to be able to do the same for others. And taking a Sabbath and intentionally resting in whatever rest looks like for you is biblical. But the thing is, you just can't stay in that place. As with any good thing, it can eventually turn, if, turn bad if it's overdone. Finding balance is key, just as key as considering others as more significant than ourselves, as Paul tells us in Philippians. And it's in that place where you will find that happiness, that fulfillment, and that true joy that comes with living your life for Christ. And last but not least, 
Jesus washed the disciples' feet because Jesus wanted to show us how we can practically and realistically love one another. At the beginning of this passage, John tells us that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right here, John is telling us that this, this is a lesson about love, this whole, this whole scripture. And he affirms this by concluding this section with Jesus telling his disciples in verses 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In this object lesson that Jesus just gave his disciples, he wasn't telling them that they had to go around literally washing other people's feet. Instead, he was teaching them what love looked like and how that they would be able to share the love with the world. And this example he uses to teach them how to love is through an act of service. In both Matthew and Mark, we have recorded accounts of Jesus saying that he did not come down to the earth to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. If you can remember when we went through John chapter 3, you'll remember that the reason God sent Jesus down in the first place to be a ransom for us is because he loved us. And so right here we can see the connection between serving and loving. Jesus dying on the cross was an act of service done out of the love he has for us. Therefore, when we lay down our lives, our wants, our issues, our concerns, to serve others, we are showing others how much we love them, which then allows people to see and experience the love of God. I add realistically to this point because it can sometimes feel overwhelming and even unrealistic to be able to love like God did or love like Jesus did, as sacrificially as he did, without skipping a beat or taking a me day. And there's a reason for that. Um, the one and only reason that Jesus was able to love as fully as he did was because, and live out that flawless ministry is because, like we read in John chapter 1, Jesus was both man and God. Later in 1 John 4, John tells us that God is love. And so this means if Jesus was fully God, that means Jesus was love. So he literally was love. He was also literally perfect, which is why he was able to live out a flawless ministry. Us, on the other hand, we are broken, flawed, imperfect people who struggle even to love ourselves sometimes, much less other people. And this can make us feel defeated. And if you think about it, this also makes sense. How can we possibly love others like Jesus did if we are not perpetually filled with the love of God? I'll tell you how. The Holy Spirit. Oh, I love the Holy Spirit. <laughs> As Roger will talk more about it next week, uh, as believers, we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the fullness of God in spirit form that lives within us. And so that means that if God is love, and God now lives within us as the Holy Spirit, then that means the fullness of God's love is actually within us right now. This also means that we don't have to sustain our love for others in our own strength. Instead, we get to step aside and call on the Holy Spirit to move through us and use us to do what our flesh feels weak to do on its own. And that, fam, is what you call freedom. As I hope that you've all been able to see, selfishness isn't always easy to spot in our lives, which can make it harder for us to put it to death. The easiest way to do this, though, to put selfishness to death is through servanthood. If we want to put our selfishness to death and sign life and servanthood, the best way to do so is follow the example that Jesus gave us. 
in this story by reminding ourselves, first and foremost, reminding ourselves of who we are and that we have a purpose on this earth. Second, it's continuously getting in the word and allowing God's word to cleanse us. Third, it's us acting on that knowledge of who we are and what God tells us to do without becoming prideful. And fourth, it's by loving others as selflessly and sacrificially as Jesus did with the help of the Holy Spirit. What's great about all these things is they show us that we don't have to be perfect or have our lives all together in order to start serving. It also shows us that we don't have to have a Bible college degree, an internship experience, or a job title to start at church to start serving. You don't even have to be a Christian for long before you start serving. We actually had one of our young, one of our middle school boys <laughs> uh, commit his life to Christ through baptism and immediately after he started serving in the village. Like he, he loves being able to love on those kids. Serving, all of these things that we talked about today can start today. Like you can start doing them today and they need to be something you start doing every single day. And it's all about being intentional. Serving simply means tending to the needs of others, which means that serving can take many different forms. Serving can look like filling a serving role here at Restore, where you can tend to the needs of our church family on Sundays by volunteering um, in the village, on the worship team, or on the hospitality team. It could also include helping with setup and teardown. Serving can look like tending to the needs of the cashier at a grocery store or a barista at a coffee shop who's gone all day without having asked someone ask her how her day is going. T serving others can look like tending to the needs of the underserved populations in our community by volunteering at the homeless shelter or one of the many senior centers we have in this county. It could also look like tending to the needs of a family member or a friend who we just think is just too far gone. Whenever you feel, wherever you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to serve, do yourself a favor and be obedient and do, go do it. I can tell you from many more personal experiences that where this has been, has not been, has not been an easy or comfortable task. But just because something is not easy or comfortable does not mean it's not possible or profitable to God. As we read earlier in this passage, in verse 1, it was actually when Jesus knew that he was about to be in his most uncomfortable position on the cross, that he decided to press into loving his disciples all the way to the end by serving them through action and through, by ministering to them through his words. Jesus tells us that when we love like this, it's then that we become blessed. And if there's anything that you guys take away from what I've talked about today, is that serving others really brings you life. Serving others allows you to experience God's love in a way you've never experienced it before. It allows God's love to fully manifest within you so that not only you feel closer to God, but that you can feel closer to others and allow others to feel closer to God. All I want is for everyone, every single person I meet and interact with, to be able to experience the fullness of God's love because there is literally nothing on earth that is greater than it. Through serving and lo loving others, that's where you'll find true joy, love, and purpose. Because it's in servanthood where we truly experience the life that Jesus died on the cross to give us.